Hey, Joe, ahead. by the way. Yeah, hi, Joe. Hey, how's it going? As some of you may be suspicious of, I, I am cat sitting for B. Oh, so... that's yeah, right. They yes. told us uh, last week, B was like, yes, I will be here next week, but my apartment will still be making an appearance on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I recognize that background. <laughs> before we start recording because this crowd uh it will probably be interested in this henry kissinger finally died get the fuck out i yeah i am so mad that i didn't know that the second it happened i am i'm so upset (laughs) when when did it happen was that today it had to be today it had to be today yeah Uh, I've been keeping. I an just eye on this idly open blue sky. Guys at a hundred, motherfucker, made it to a hundred. Hundred and hundred and a half, because his birthday is May May twenty seventh. I've got friends. Washington Post <laughs> says it happened. Yeah, Henry Kissinger. Henry. Jesus Christ. Yeah, seems pretty official. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Nazis. Uh, you want to talk about this movie? <laughs> yes, please. Let's get this over with. I really. Did we keep in the part where we talk about like Henry Kissinger just died? Sure. But yeah, Alicia, make that this thing. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> Love you. It'll, it'll it'll explain the sense of levity we have about these Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good evening, Good boy. And welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we are talking about the latest movie to join my list of great movies I'm never going to recommend to anybody, Soft and Quiet. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Uh, yeah, really, like, if you have suggestions for a new name, <laughs> I'm looking for something that is not in this film. As, as somebody who has seen a lot of movies with shitty Jeremy's, I understand the impulse. Yes, <laughs> but at least white women are getting the representation they deserve. Yeah, True. Uh, so uh ben ben is not in the house for this one i am sure they would have plenty to say about it uh but they are on vacation (laughs) and uh in their place we have two long time guests of the podcast good friends of the podcast and incredible writers in their own right we got joe crow and greg silver welcome back y'all thanks for having me you guys oh, both volunteered for this. I don't occasion. think I've ever heard as many slurs as I did in this movie. Uh, French Connection gets up there, but uh, I haven't I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> well, it's it's more the variety. The, the variety. Yeah, no, it, it's I, uh, not yeah. like them using the same slur over and over again. Like if you yeah. can think of a marginalized group and think of a slur for them chances are it is said in this movie yeah i haven't heard this many slurs since i worked at a grocery store in the south in high school so (laughs) i haven't heard this many slurs since they canceled mind of mencia (laughs) (laughs) i uh i was telling alicia i was like this this really this one kind of brought back some memories for me because uh 
I had a, a a boss when I worked at a local grocery store that I will not name in in Lenore, where my family lives, who liked to use like what I would refer to as antiquated racism, like almost novelty racism. I was accused yeah. of working like a slur for a Polish person, and I was like, "You have you even met any Polish people? You've lived in the South your whole life. Like, what is yeah? <laughs> what is going on with your racism, yeah. sir?" Yeah. Once in my life, uh, this was in the Midwest, uh, someone actually to my face referred to me as Italian. Mm. Like that's a thing that happened. I had a friend in high school whose his family was from New York. Well, from New York by Italy. And uh, his his grandmother was deathly concerned that people were going to hate them for being Italian. And I was like, I know they're. <laughs> They're really more interested in other sorts of racism. Here. Yeah. <laughs> there are not enough Italian people in the South for them yeah. to really be that worried about it. I, I mean, up up until like the mid 1960s, when my uh, grandparents moved to their home, the country club not too far, far away, you know, with a golf course and stuff, did have a no Jews or Italians uh, rule. As late as like the the nineteen sixties. Wow, Jesus. Yeah, my. Uh, I mean. Yeah, I. So before we talk too much about this movie, I did want to mention like I looked at a lot of reviews and stuff of this movie afterwards about people that seem very confused about who made this movie and like what they think they're doing. Uh, that this movie is written and directed by Beth Diarau, and this is her like debut feature film. But she is like she is much more similar to the women who are victimized in this movie than the women who are the I wouldn't say protagonists, but the focus of this movie. Her parents are Asian and Latino. And I can't imagine that anything that happens in this movie goes over her head or is unintentional. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. A lot of the reviews of this seem to be like this was made by white people for white people. And it's like, no, like that's factually incorrect. <laughs> yeah. So like, I feel like going in, it's worth saying that because I feel like that definitely like colors the way that people should be looking at the movie and then thinking about what it is trying to say, whether they, whatever your eventual opinions are, this, this is an incredibly yeah. difficult movie to watch. Yeah. Well, when I was looking it up on uh, Letterboxd, Cause I didn't, I didn't know anything about the movie. It was just on our list. And I was like, oh. and then finally I was thinking, oh, Hey, it's coming up. And I was all, almost going to watch it the other night for my friends coming over for dinner. Glad we <laughs> did it. Would have been a real appetite killer, but I looked want it up some, on Letterboxd. cherry pie after this? Oh my God. We'll, uh, we'll get to pie. that. But the first thing, uh, the, uh, the first movie on the list of movies like this one was American history X. And I was, that's where the alarms went off. And I was like, oh, shit. American History yeah. X. And then there was like Midsummer in there. And Hereditary, which I don't quite get why Hereditary is no. on there. Other than the fact that it's just also very upsetting. It's the way it makes you feel afterwards. Yeah. yeah. There was also yeah. an, an allergy to peanuts referred to in Hereditary. Yeah. Oh, true, true. So, yeah. Strange but absolutely true connection. Yes, this movie I believe knew, knew exactly what it's doing, and it didn't really pull any punches, for better or worse. But yeah. it was very clear how shitty these people were. I want to say, as as somebody who who has lived in the South, and this is not set in the South particularly; it is it's set in Montana, actually. 
but Montana might as well be in the South for as sort of <laughs> rural as it is. It's just very cold South. Yeah. I, I said before that it it really brought back some unpleasant memories for me. And I feel like that is absolutely true of both the, like, some of the stuff that happens, which, I, you know, I haven't witnessed anything like the really bad stuff that happens in this, but the sort of insidious nature of the main characters in this movie, especially Emily, who's the, the character we're following from the beginning, who is um, the worst in a very specific and very real way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, I, f- I feel like I've met that woman. Like, I feel like I've met her several times across the course of my life. Yes. Yeah. Like, maybe she wasn't saying slurs, like, directly at me, but maybe after I walked away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, as somebody who is, you know, myself, a white man who is married to a black woman, it is really scary, depressing, and also extremely weird to like occasionally find myself in rooms full of white people where other white people feel very comfortable saying things in front of me mm-hmm. that uh if my wife was there i would fight <laughs> like, yes i would yeah you know I, they they wouldn't say them first of all but if they sure. did in front of my wife like i would be throwing bows like it would not be yeah. a question but like yeah i've, I've been both when I was growing up and in various points in my life, like been in rooms with people like this where they felt comfortable to take their masks off around me. And uh, it is a comfortable situation. They're mm-hmm. horrible people and not to like be too shitty about it, but they're everywhere. Like they're all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me tell you what was maybe not the best idea for my brain this week. I watched this movie uh, the same week that I saw Schindler's List for the first time. Oh, jeez. What? what? Oh, jeez. For the Why? first time, Greg? I don't know. I don't know. I saw Soft and Quiet first. And then like two days ago, that, that was on like Monday. And you were like, and, what and would then, be a great double feature with this? I, you know, I, I've never seen Schindler's List solely because I know it's going to make me sad. And it's, been, like, and, it's like on my, it's like on my like list for every streaming service I have. I just never watched it, and finally, I just got this urge the other night. I was like, you know what? I, like, it's I should stop being afraid and finally watch the like, cultural touchstone. I just I uh, love the idea that all the that all the streaming services are like watch Schindler's List, Greg, watch it. Well, Greg, it sounds like Greg, you put it on your list, yeah. and you're like just been waiting to watch it because, yeah. and and I do get the logic. This is actually very logical to me because, like, watching this movie, I was like, I just want to, I just want to read Berserk. Like, I just want to like Close us, ourselves to more trauma. Yeah, at this point, I'm like, this was a low. Like, this is a real low. And you know, maybe I'm, I'm just like numb. Or maybe I'm I am just mad with power that I survived this. This yeah. I mean, which is like kind of fucked up to say, especially because survival is such a, a, a subject of the film. Well, I, I feel like the best horror movies leave you walking away feeling like like you said, I can't believe I survived this. Yeah. Like that and that's what makes those horror fans strong. 
Yeah. And I mean, like you were talking with us about hereditary too. And we had that sort of hereditary, the same, the same kind of feeling in hereditary, at least with hereditary, it was ghosts and witches and stuff and demons. And this movie is very real. It's shot in kind of a documentary style. It's not single, like it's not single camera or anything, but it's, but really, like, that's one of the things that I feel is very good about the, that decision is that it is definitely about just this microcosm. And I'm not talking about the racism, but just the, this group of people and how this shitty group of people, these, like, horrible things can happen with these shitty people because they just escalate. And there's a lot of movies about this kind of thing where something goes wrong and it escalates and it's very enthralling. But I think that this movie, as poignant as it is, because like it follows those little details in a sort of like over the shoulder camera action way. Yeah, it is. It is done all, at least in theory, in one shot. There are no cuts in this movie. It was filmed. They filmed it four times, four nights in a row. And according to the filmmakers most of what they use in the film is is from the fourth night from the fourth take there are some some spots you can see where you know it's okay they very easily could have cut here and and picked up because there's a lot of like still shots of stuff yeah yeah the most ominous shot of a pie i have ever seen in my life yeah. but uh, you, you know it's What's funny for me, you saw Schindler's List. That's not the funny part. The funny part is I watched on on Monday Dial M for Murder, which oddly enough, also like it it ties in a little bit like it, it was completely unintentional but you know like the human instinct to just find similarities and things and it's yeah. like yeah. It, it's a move it's a movie about someone who is poorly handling a murder they committed <laughs> yeah yeah and like this is not a fun version of that like there's fun yeah. versions of that this is not fun this is like you know you just watch how it gets worse and worse and worse there's a lot of people like i said i wouldn't recommend this movie to a lot of people it's not a fun movie to watch it is very heavy there's a lot of disturbing stuff like there yeah i've seen a lot of horrible shit and horror movies there were definitely a few moments in this one where I'd, i just had to like look away but like it is impeccably directed it is incredibly acted it is like a beautifully it is a beautiful and, and well-made movie from just like a the way it's made uh yeah. Yeah. perspective it is not for everybody but it yeah. is very well made um, and speaking to that point that you're making you know since hereditary was brought up and all that too like Part of what makes the movie work or work best in, in like the best moments of the movie is that there's no like big names or something like that. If yeah, you, you I think you'd be sucked out a little bit if it was like, you know, like Tony Collette or, or someone yeah, real burn. like, yeah, if some big <laughs> actors and actresses were in it. But it added to the realism of it by having all of that and the tension. Like, I, I think this movie works best in those scenes where they're like, yelling and like talking over each other and it's chaotic and, and like yeah i found that really gripping and really like hard to take your eyes off it because you're just like wow like in those moments you're just waiting and, and they did i think a very good job at gluing your eyes to the screen and being like 
is she going to fire the gun? Is, you know, someone going to come in? Is someone going to grab the gun? What's going on? And all of that, I think, worked really well in in this movie. Yeah, it's hard to take your eyes off of it, except when, like, there's a few things that you just can't, like, really fully absorb. Like, this is one of those movies that I sort of kind of turned my my head a few times. Well, there's, Um, and there's, I will say there is a scene that is intentionally, like, cut away from like where we're seeing sort of the outskirts of, of one of the more vile horrible scenes in the thing but they're like very intentionally not focusing on the actual physical trauma that's being done to this character there is some fucking malicious sound editing in that section like yeah. oh yeah oh yeah it is, <laughs> like the visual that it's panning away and you're seeing people's reaction to what's going on, but like the fucking sound editing in this section is it is mean. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you gave this movie to a lot of people and were like, this is a horror movie, and that was the only information you gave them. I think a lot of people, at least for the bulk of the movie, would be like, how is this horror? I mean, like it's upsetting because People are bigoted and stuff, but yeah, is this really hard? Because there's there's nothing really traditionally hard about it, except for the fact that it presents these very real things, even early on in the movie, and just such a stark, unfiltered look at it. The movie makes you feel horrified just by the reality. A great example. And, and not to get too tired of ourselves. I know we haven't done the recap yet. Um, yeah. But I mentioned that shot of the pie earlier. Now, just to clarify, this was a pie that the character Emily has been carrying at, uh, around for the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's covered in foil. One of the most amazing reveals in cinema history, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. And she goes to this she goes to this meeting in I guess it's like a like a church or a cathedral, whatever. It's and like a little like kind of Swedenborgian church kind of thing. Yeah. Let it Yeah, it's it's a real church. church. It's, uh... Yeah, it seems like they probably filmed that real church. Uh, but they're they're at this little table for this little club, and you're not sure what the club's about yet. And then she unveils the aluminum foil, and there is a swastika like cut in very deeply into the pie. And yeah. as as a Jewish person, first of all, <laughs> you know, not not to not to mention you know all the other groups that were brutalized by the nazis like the swastika is one of the very few things that i could just see as iconography and i get scared yeah and they linger the camera so long on this pie and then finally someone cuts into the pie and it is strawberry and i love a good strawberry pie but it, this thing must have cooked it this way on purpose because like the strawberry juice kind of looks like blood yeah, and it's a very runny pie. If if I didn't know about the whole swastika thing, I, I probably would have taken a slice of the pie. But it looks like a very not just a gross pie, but like an evil pie. Yeah, yes. I don't think they would have invited you though, so I don't think that would have been. Well, well that's true. I would feeling. be a very <laughs> for multiple reasons. I would be a very bad member of what is the 
daughters of Aryan fathers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something about something Aryan unity or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, this scene is it's really well done. Well, let's go ahead and do a recap because we're gonna get to it almost right off the bat. Yes. Yes. This is really interesting. I I knew very little about this movie going in. I had seen a lot of like people talking about it and very intentionally like not absorbed it because it was one of those that was coming up on lists of things that I'm I'm paying attention to as, you know, <laughs> scheduling stuff for this podcast. <laughs> people yeah. were like, you know, this is the thing I, I need to look at. So um it stars uh, Stephanie Estes, who's our, our main character, Emily, who uh, we're going to follow through the whole thing. Uh, there's also Olivia Lucardi, who plays Leslie. There's Dana Milliken, who plays Kim. And Eleanor Panetta, who plays uh, Marjorie. There's sort of the main ones we're going to follow around throughout this. Uh, we also have Melissa Paolo and uh, Sissy Lee in the main cast here. We start off following Emily, who's a, uh, a kindergarten teacher. She's talking to a second grader at the beginning. She's a kindergarten teacher. But she's tearfully taking a pregnancy test that isn't turning out her way in the bathroom. And we sort of follow her back into the school. All the kids have left, except for this one kid who is sort of standing out there. And she does. she starts off with some, like, red flag, moderately racist stuff where like there's a Latina janitor who's pushing around a, a bucket and mopping floors. And she tells the little boy who's there with her, you need to go tell that woman that she's putting you in danger by, you know, mopping these floors. She's it's a very, which like, you've already bullshit. Yeah. yeah it's a very yeah. calculated training well, him to yeah. look down on her to treat her like the help, even though she is an, an adult woman. Yeah, doing a job, but but also just like like on principle, like her reasoning, like oh, like you're gonna slip on the he he already left school. If mom's gonna be here any second to pick him up, he's not yeah. going back and and then falling on his face. No, yeah, she's, yeah, no. she's looking for a reason to yes uh, do something to this woman. Yeah, she tells the the mom when she comes to pick her up, like oh, like she really put your son in danger, like really pushing this sort of narrative that we see is not true along the way going to her little meeting after she leaves when she meets up with uh for the first time when she's just meeting her uh leslie who's an ex-con who was invited for this meeting by their mutual friend kim if you're paying attention leslie has a jacket that has some german on the back um yep. but you don't really know to look for that yet I missed it. Yeah. On the way in, we meet Kim, who is the mother of two, who owns the local convenience store at which Leslie works and is his friends with Emily. We meet Marjorie, who was recently passed over for a promotion at her shitty job. And uh, Jessica, <laughs> Jessica's, <laughs> as Emily put it, Jessica's so naughty. There's, like I said, one of the best, like, sort of reveals in a movie I've ever seen because she's been carrying this pie with her the whole time and we haven't seen it because it's wrapped in foil and she sets it down on the table in front of everybody and they're like oh pie she takes the foil off and there's a swastika carved in it and I of course immediately have like what the fuck uh, yeah. and so are several of the other people on the screen like seeing this Emily does this like oh it's a joke can anybody take a joke bit and it's like yeah. it's chilling yes chilling yeah heavens um, yeah yeah so leslie is just sort of along for the ride but leslie is also an ex-con who is seemingly down to do whatever needs to be done especially as it involves kim who has hired her fresh out of prison she is already viewing this group as her family like three minutes into to being there we we get to find out that kim has a lot of like 
very heavy prejudices about the uh, people who you know frequent her convenience store they're too loud they're always stealing stuff they're all illegal immigrants this that and the other and marjorie is is pissed off because she got passed over for this promotion for a, a colombian girl who hasn't been working there as long as her got the promotion and she's sure it's because she's brown definitely not because of the fact that that woman she said in her own words that she asked why she passed up for the promotion and they said this other woman has better leadership skills. Yeah. Yeah. Also, she's a fucking mess, as we'll find out as the thing goes yeah. on. Um, she's a lot. I can imagine many reasons why somebody promoted this girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. not even knowing that she's racist. We, we also meet Jessica, who will only be with us for a little while in this movie, but leaves an impact because she is the one of this group who is dyed in the wool kkk who works for and writes on stormfront regularly who is like a faux real faux real nazi <laughs> yeah she said so proudly how her daddy was grand wizard god if if i was doing like a nitpick of this movie one of my things with it is I wish she was introduced a little later and they like tried to like lure you in a little bit with like, these are people with horrible ideas and things, but maybe there's like something redeemable about these people. And then like at that reveal and then you're like, oh, no. Yeah, well, I, I think that the swastika kind of just like, Poured the ice water on the hole, yeah. <laughs> the, the scariest pie in cinema history. Yeah. I, I mean, as for like Jessica, I feel like yeah. the fact that they introduce her and then after the meeting, she pieces out. Uh, yeah. Like she she has four kids at home and one on the way. She is bringing a whole new horde of Nazis into the world uh, with her, teaching them all of her same shit. And that when everybody else decides that they're going to go continue to meet up and get some wine and drink and do hate crimes, that Jessica, who is the, like, experienced hate crimer, leaves. <laughs> Jessica is not there to, like, goad the rest of them into doing the shit that they will then go do. It's just before, I assume, late 20s, early 30s-somethings, with the exception well, of a little older. I kind of liked how the movie seemed to be saying, like, People who are like quietly racist, like, you know, and not obviously racist can be and often are just as, if not more dangerous than the people who are really obvious about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, for sure. I think the, uh, what was it? The the Marjorie character, right? She, she's the one that was working at the store and got passed up for the promotion, right? That, yeah. that was her. Yeah. So like there were moments in what she was saying early on about this, like, you know, her being like, I live paycheck to paycheck. I, I I get Passover and forgotten, stuff like this. And it's like that kind of stuff. And, and I know the movie's like it made its point. It was doing these certain things. When, when I was watching it, and again, just a nitpick is like, I, I wanted to see like a little more of that to kind of trick the, maybe trick's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? To kind of try to get people to be a little more like, maybe sympathetic's the wrong word, but to get this idea of like, I can understand where this person is feeling this genuine frustration and then someone 
exploits that because i mean this is obviously we all know that about white supremacy is these people who are genuinely frustrated for real reasons and then someone comes along and gives them scapegoats and it makes them feel better because yeah oh it isn't my fault it's this and how that warps and and turns people into that and you, you might need a lot more than an hour and a half to really adequately address all of that stuff too but yeah. yeah, I mean, Marjorie, yeah. I think is is like Jessica is, is, is a person people know exists, but like yeah. in a distance somewhere like she's not in the yeah. room with you necessarily. But like everybody knows a Marjorie. Everybody knows a person who like the first thing that goes wrong in their life. They're like, obviously, it's not my fault. So it must be the racism. Like yeah. it must yeah. be that other people don't want to give me the promotion not because I'm drinking and stealing and whatever else she she's doing throughout the movie, yeah. but that uh, that I'm white. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everybody knows that person. That person is on Fox News daily. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Talking about how they didn't get into nice college. I'm glad that the movie brought like an economic anxiety element mm-hmm. to it, partly because like you know after she does her whole speech, it's so easy to realize like oh your problem isn't other races your problem is capitalism also that also you seem like a complete mess of a person yeah also you're a shit would not be good at a job yeah Yeah. no but and i mean we see that all the time obviously right now you, you see that with people being like oh you know it's the economy is like rough and this and that and obviously there's truths to that and then it turns into well clearly it's because of immigration or this and that from people who if you know a lot of them if you drill into them and are like well are, are you seeing any of these people well, no yeah are they affecting your actual job no is your job threatened have you been told by your work look you know we want to keep you but you know someone who who just got here in this country and just got you know their visa said they'll do it cheaper so we got to fire you it's like no of course not that has never happened yeah yeah that's never really addressed <laughs> obviously we're, we're seeing an uptick of that and you know which i also think again it's all wording here i'm like i don't want to say it pairs well with this movie <laughs> but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no i mean it, it's relevant there's a lot going on in this movie, and I I want to talk more about that too. But um, Jeremy, I just wanted to get through the recap because we need to get through this <laughs> yeah, together. We're gonna get through it together, I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they have their little racism meeting. They're you know discussing all these things for the future. They're not going to be relevant to this movie. And you know they all decide that you know that they, they want to go hang out some more after they get kicked out of the church because the pastor shows up and is, is very politely, "Hey, you can't be here to Emily." Like, take this shit elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, Emily begrudgingly rounds everybody up to go, you know, go back to her place. I think, theoretically, that's what they're going to do. They decide to, you know, make a stop off at Kim's convenience store to pick up some wine to take back with them. The only person in the group that doesn't go is super racist Jessica. Everybody else packs in the van. And Kim's van goes back to Kim's store to pick up some wine on the way. They are having a good old time in Kim's store, doing a little light racism chatter when uh, a couple of uh, sisters come in. What their racial identity is is never actually discussed in the movie. They, Not seriously. Yeah, they make yeah, a so lot seriously of... Discussed, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, they make a lot of accusations about where they're from and where they're not from and everything. Yeah. They... And their sexuality and all these things. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they accuse them of being lesbians, despite the fact that they say they're sisters. We also get sort of an idea that Emily is scared of being seen by one of these women. She kind of hides until these women who are making a perfectly justifiable request. They get a, a bottle of wine. You know, while the, the store is clearly open because they're checking out these other women, uh, Kim refuses to serve them and Emily sees a chance to really fuck with them. So decides that since one of them has said, you know, they'll buy the most expensive bottle of wine that she will give them a, a cheap bottle of wine and make them pay $300 for it. And then when she actually produces $300, accuses her of being a prostitute because she has $300 in cash and they bully them around some more and mess with them before eventually letting them go and then we sort of learn as they're they yell back at the white women at the last moment that emily's brother has uh, been arrested is in jail for raping somebody presumably one of them i don't think they safe for sure but yeah. them or somebody they're closely related yeah them to. or someone that they're friends with or something yeah yeah because like, yeah. they're aware they're very aware of that having happened yeah, yeah there's some dialogue that reflects they're like well he would never do that with them or whatever yeah there's some, some yeah yeah and that's specific stuff there that starts up sort of this thing that's going to be going on for the rest of the movie where every time somebody is like no it's fine leave it alone they all amp each other up and cheer each other on to go be worse um to go yes. do more horrible things leslie in particular is down for whatever <laughs> Leslie She's game. Yeah, Leslie is game. We're we're never really given an indication early on how much racism uh Leslie is really holding on to and how much she is just like, all right, these three are my my family now, and we're gonna do whatever. Like, you know, I'm gonna put them in a position where they have to do what I want to do. She will she will manipulate Emily in some very fucked <laughs> up ways later on. Um, yeah and so they uh they all talk each other into planning a hate crime where they're all going to get back in the minivan and go to this girl's house and fuck up some shit steal some of her stuff burn her passport so she can't go back to wherever she's from uh or you know can't end up staying because her passport is discovered to be missing or whatever at this point we meet maybe the only white person that i feel at all bad for in this movie which is craig oh boy craig Mm. Craig is Craig is married to Emily. Craig tries to stop this. Craig is like, yes. hey, I know you're upset. Like, I know it, it's unclear whether they've had a miscarriage or whether they're just having difficulty getting pregnant. Either one sort of seems popular from the or is possible from the framing. But he's like, I know you, I know we had a bad visit with the doctor and you're upset, but like we can't turn that into this. This is a felony. You will get, you know, you can get arrested. He proceeds to dress him down and the line that like is one of the more fucked up bits in this movie is where she's like, I know that I can keep living my life knowing that my husband is a pussy and knowing that like you wouldn't stand up for me and do this thing. I can live with much more more colorful language than pussy too just yeah, yeah, yeah. Record. goes up and down like she she says much worse and much more than that she does some um, very big homophobias yeah yes yeah yes. and it's rough and eventually craig is like okay 
I will go with you guys, if nothing else, just to make sure that you don't get arrested. Like, I will, he's planning to be the lookout. Um, and he sticks to that for a while. But, like, so they all break into the house. They stick this woman's fucking chihuahua in a cupboard, which is terrible. Wait, can I just say, before we get into the chihuahua situation, yeah. I really just thought Craig was such a fascinating character for this movie because like on one hand he's definitely complicit yes and you know one has to wonder like how long can you be married to a woman with beliefs like this uh you know it's not clear what his beliefs are but like clearly he's married to an extremist yes but like he is like the de facto voice of reason in this movie, he, he he utterly fails, but like he's the only one in that group who is about to do something completely unhinged, who is telling them all, you all know this is completely unhinged, right? And you will go to jail. Yeah. Well, I don't I never saw him as like innocent. Like I think he did share no. the beliefs, but there's a difference in scale where someone riled up like Emily would have gone and invaded on January 6th. Yes. And Craig would have become a cop. Like, that's sort of what they their levels are. Yeah, I, I think we'll get more into it after we're done with the wrap-up. But, like, my takeaway from this was that their marriage is probably over after the events of this movie. Oh, like, I, I would... F- <laughs> well, a lot of things are over, hopefully, by the end of this movie. Who knows? I yeah. mean, I don't know... I don't know if anybody else had this reaction, but I might. I had the thought of like, I wonder if this is what Kellyanne and George Conway's relationship is like, because like I can't, like that's always been impossible to imagine for me what that yeah. is like. Yeah, and like there's a, a part of me that I was like, is this it? Is this the explanation for that relationship? Like, yeah. enjoys being demeaned and insulted. I don't know, but they so they break into this house. It's also notable that Marjorie is uh, pissed off that these non-white people live in a nicer place than she does, despite the fact that they do mention that it's uh, inherited from their parents, which uh, they will continue to ignore throughout in the ways that are comfortable and convenient for racism to call them illegals and this, that, and the other. If this house belonged to their mother previously, then what the fuck? Does any of that make sense? But it doesn't matter because it's racism and it doesn't have to make sense. They start off with just their their fucking step up. They're going to find the passport. They're going to steal their beer. They're going to stick their chihuahua in a cupboard. Kind of base level, horrible home invasion shit. And then uh, eventually Craig, <laughs> Craig comes in from his lookout and is like, we have to fucking go. This is like, you cannot continue to do this and still like you get away with it. And continues to be demeaned and treated like shit for suggesting that they leave and cease this hate crime early. Well, we also haven't mentioned the fact that they continuously refer to the hate crime as a prank. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. like oh, we're, we're just having a little fun. Yeah. Which, first of all, I, I mean, race aside, just classic bully behavior. Like, mm, it's all good. We're just having fun here. Well, it's it's gaslighting. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's like, yeah. why are you? What, don't scold us. We're not doing what you what we're clearly doing. We're doing this other thing. Yeah. Why are you getting mad? Yeah. yeah. This is a problem with you, not us. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, it's a lot. So they uh, they continue to do all this, and it, at at uh, some point, Craig hears a car pull up and has them all hide. And uh, one of the one of the women who lives there comes in. I believe this is this is Anne that comes in first. She comes in and uh, is calling the dog. The dog doesn't respond, and she seems to sense that something is up. I don't know if she sees somebody in there or just notices that something is fucked up, but she makes the good horror movie call that nobody ever does in horror movies and is like, something's fucked up here. I'm leaving. Yeah. At which point they they go Craig into chasing her down and pulling her back. And uh, they keep telling each other or... Craig more specifically that they're just going to do this thing. They're just going to scare her or whatever. They're just going to make sure that she doesn't go tell anybody. Uh, they start, you know, taping her up like a hostage. They start putting her in this chair. Um, they start going through various other things to intimidate and humiliate her. At which point her sister Lily arrives and Craig is again sent to retrieve her and drags her back down the stairs into this house, ties her up as well. The women decide that the only way out of this is to scare the shit out of them so that they won't report it to the police. And they decide to do that by terrorizing them, humiliating them in any way possible, including putting mayonnaise in their hair and pouring food down and water down their throat and uh, taping their mouths shut and everything. Yeah, A continuous string of insults and attacks and things like that. Uh, what they don't count on is the fact that Lily is allergic to peanuts, which they pour in her mouth. She has an allergic reaction and starts to convulse and, and foam at the mouth and tries to tell them, uh, tells them where the the EpiPen is. And this is in one of the more insidious sections of this. Uh, Leslie goes up as slowly as possible while pretending to not be able to understand what Anne is telling her, goes up to get the EpiPen brings it down slowly enough that like Lily has stopped moving by the time she gets there. And then she's like, Oh, it's too late. And throws the EpiPen aside. Yeah. Uh, One of the most horrifying moments of the movie. That was like, I mean, a lot of this was evil, but that was like, if any of those women had any like excuse in their mind that they weren't doing a murder or they didn't know what they were doing, that was absolutely out the window at that moment. That moment was where there was absolutely intent to yeah. do murder at that point. And uh, there's a lot of dialogue that that discusses that too. But um, yeah, let's get through this. Yeah. This is the point in which everybody starts to freak out. Uh, uh, Marjorie starts vomiting. Emily uh, starts, try- starts trying to fight with Leslie. Leslie is not going to let anybody fight with her. She is on the edge of beating the shit out of Emily by the time Emily uh, realizes that she's made a bad move. Yeah. Kim is freaking out because she is suddenly worried about her kids uh, and the fact that, you know, if if she gets nailed for this, they're not going to have a mom. It's uh, all going sideways, at which point, like, they sort of let Leslie take over and Leslie decides that the only way that this is going to pan out for them is that they stage it as a rape attempt and that, like, nobody will ever suspect that women broke here and break in here and rape these women. And uh, we do not see the entirety of what happens in the scenes, thankfully. We, like, like I was saying, there's some rough sound editing in this scene, but we don't see what's happening. Um, yeah. 
but we do know that she is, is staging it to look like a rape uh, and in the process doing a rape. Yes. <laughs> Definitely a rape at this point. And uh, everybody is, is further freaking out now, realize that this, the other sister is dead, that there's no, no real way out of this that doesn't involve killing Anne. Emily specifically says that she, she can't do it. She can't make herself do it. She is too, you know, she doesn't have the willpower, but she knows that Leslie does. So she's going to depend on Leslie to do this. And Leslie is more than game to do this as well as Emily. As long as Emily agrees to model her vintage clothes for her that she wants to sell on eBay, which Emily agrees to. So Leslie then suffocates Anne under a pillow and they go find a tarp to zip them up in and pack them in the van and take them gradually we get the whole thing playing out as it's going on they take them to the lake and paddle them out in a boat and throw the uh the weighted down bag with the two bodies into the lake and go back onto shore planning to go clean up the house and that is the last we see of them and at the last moment you know just before the movie closes and surfaces alive and still breathing and that's the end of the movie yeah and it is a fucking rough one it is a rough one to watch and listen yeah. to as i said for that matter and yeah and there's a there's a lot going on so uh let's discuss so the one thing i really want to talk about in this movie is the dialogue because the way the dialogue is so specific and how it escalates and it's so human where you can hear these people, you know, egging each other on the little like insidious microaggressions that they have towards each other. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Like, I, I think it's Marjorie who is she's the one who keeps saying that she's game. And at one point, Emily shames her for her word choice because she sounds like an ape. That's a racism thing there i mean and social policing is a big part of this and this is something that is you know outside of strictly racist circles like this is a toxic trait lots of groups of women who are insecure and have a need to assess their control over something i don't want to say relatable but it's an incredibly common thing that you hear if you're somebody who goes into this and you know has read the reviews of saying like this is made by white people for white people yeah it's made for white people this is absolutely made for white people but i think that that is important to see how a community that quote unquote means well or quote unquote doesn't hate anybody is just as easily vile it's really interesting to me the the sort of like characters that they chose for this story because like i said marjorie is somebody that everybody knows and she is her like primary trait going into this is frustration like she feels like she's failed and if she can find this group of people who are willing to say it's not you you're fine you haven't failed it's the system that's failing you and we want to change that then she's willing to swallow a lot of shit to go along with that um, yeah and that i think is a thing that is very easy to see like happening on the internet on a regular basis it's much easier to believe that you've been cheated than to believe that you're not good enough or that you've failed in some way. And like combining that with sort of this, Emily's got this energy of, of like righteousness, right? Like that she is sure that 
she is right. She is absolute in her conviction that she is right about these things and that she is protecting children and that she is doing the right thing. Now, a lot of that is, is fueled by her own frustration with this, like, knowledge that she is not able to have the life she wants right like so that she's not able to have a kid like she wants and you know you add to that sort of like this this character of of kim who is afraid like kim's just afraid that's why she has a gun she runs this shop she's always very like leery of the the kids that are there the the people who are there and she's even you know in the later parts of the movie when things are going really wrong she is driven to continue to do vile things out of fear of losing her kids yeah that you know she won't be able to be there for her kids oh if if it's this one murder then she won't be able to be there for her kids so why not make it two and hide the bodies yeah that is a very potent emotion and that i i think is something a lot of people feel in that same and and then you add just sort of this like powder keg of leslie who is somebody who is like has the will to do the things that are beyond the scope of of some of them like who you know will go ahead and do the things that a lot of racists when faced with the opportunity to do a hate crime are too scared to do a hate crime yeah i don't think scared because we have craig there and then we also have jessica yeah jessica's the the Mm. kkk one and you see the difference between a brutish bully and an organized criminal right yeah Craig, I feel like he has been through some things where he's like, okay, I know how the system works a little bit. You know, I know that this is not viable. I can post on Stormfront and I can become a cop and I can do these other things, utilize my influence that way. But this prank, I know is a bad idea because of he can sort of see the situation. He questions Marjorie or Leslie. Leslie's the, the real issue here. He has a, uh, especially like immediately does not care what Leslie says, but he only cares about what Emily says. And Emily is just so incredibly abusive to him. I mean, he's abusive to her. He he hits her and all this kind of stuff. But you can see like how they're, the different facets of escalation and how they interact with these very, I mean, these human characters, but also these these very ignorant characters, and uh, and or the the levels of experience that these characters have, I should say, that also comes out in the dialogue too. Like, I think really that one of the most important things here, in response to anybody's question of whether this movie is supposed to be sympathetic to these people, is if you just watch how these people treat each other, we're not supposed to be sy- sympathetic to anyone. Except for maybe that kid and the victims. Yeah. The true thing that really drives that home to me is that in that early meeting at the beginning, Emily is talking about how much it's their job to like build up their men and like to support their men. And that's like, that's what a proper white woman should be doing is uh, holding up to this family and the society and the family is what's really important. And then when she is like faced with a moment where her husband disagrees with her, is abusive and tears him down intentionally and like attacks him in a way that that is vile and and designed to undermine that same toxic masculinity that she is claiming to want to like build up that she's claiming to support so you know she immediately like she knows what her weapons are and chooses when to deploy them yeah Yeah. and and 
making it more toxic like just completely raising the toxicity level there I wish that, you know, again, this is another small nitpick. I kind of wish the movie went just a little longer and we saw a little more of what happened only because the movie touches on the idea of people like the white supremacists we see in this movie love authority and using authority until it's an obstacle for them and they tend to be, uh, you know, react to it violently and it would yeah. have been it would have been interesting to see a, a situation where like like what do these people do who act like the the law and god and all these things are on their side and, and when they're up against like the actual authority figure of no 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 like you have to go to go to jail like they may have been able to do a little bit more with that maybe with with emily's brother but like like i i wish that element was explored like a little more which again it's an hour and a half movie that's yeah. telling us a lot but you yeah know, it's all it's, it's done in real time so yeah. like yeah kind of like three months later six months later yeah exactly like kind of uh <laughs> Doesn't doesn't go with the flow of the movie, but I I will tell yeah. you I have no doubt these people are ratting each other out at their first. Oh chance. Oh, oh yeah yeah yeah. Leslie is going to prison. I've also got to say it really bugs me that people assume that this is just somehow an endorsement yeah. of white supremacy. I don't even think an endorsement so much as like. Oh, this is this is white people telling other white people like, don't be racist. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, there's, yeah, there's right. a sort of question of like who it's for, right? And that, that's a good point, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting to go back to Schindler's List <laughs> um, <laughs> for this, but, but here, here Nobody we have. expect Schindler's List uh, be, because I hot take did not love Schindler's List. It's objectively well-crafted. I'm going somewhere with this. But I found myself not being as invested in it as I expected to because I didn't... I guess I should have known from the title. I didn't expect Schindler to be the protagonist of the movie, this non-Jewish, super-rich industrialist who, you know, was the hero, you know, is known for saving all those Jews, but... Had it been more like something like going on Holocaust stuff, Mouse, where it is from the perspective of a Jewish character, like that, that, that kind of thing always felt more relatable to me. So, you know, now that you mentioned that, like, yeah, I, I, I can get how certain communities might watch this and be like, we already know all this about white people. Yeah, but, but to to that point though, uh, and this is this is a problem that we're we're not going to solve on this podcast, but we'll we'll talk about <laughs> it a little bit. So this is uh, perennial. This has been going on since the dawn of you know media, books, you know, literacy, all of that. It's like the people that would probably benefit the most from seeing and understanding what's going on in a movie like this are the least likely to go out of their way to watch this and, and the people who are watching it and maybe taking something from it or enjoy is a, maybe not the best word but you know <laughs> what i mean but appreciates it like yeah this panel discussing the movie 
we were already there. I don't think a single person here right now is like, I learned something that I didn't know about <laughs> white supremacy going into this. That's not a bad thing. I, I'm not saying that as a negative. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot valuable about this. Like the director oh, is is on record of saying that her message is literally it is impossible for you to kill all of us. Like, and yeah. that is, you know, that is a powerful message in itself. But I think the thing that I like the most about this movie is that there are a lot of movies about racism that are full of Jessica's and sure. that the Emily's in those movies always figure out the error of their ways late yeah. on and are like, Hey, racism is bad actually. Whereas the reality is that like those people, those people are just as dangerous as the Jessica's, if not more so like those people are, the ones that, you know, are in a position to brainwash kids who are in a position to, like, cause real problems for people beyond just a, like, beyond a racism 101, you can't swim in this pool, you can't use this basketball court, like, throwing N-words out kind of character. Like, these are the real insidious and scary people that you, they're the people that you meet each day. These are the people in your neighborhood is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> I think that's, that's I think that there's is... a tendency for like movies and people, white people <laughs> who know these people to like assume that one, they'll figure it out eventually or two, like when the chips are down, they're not really that bad of a person. Like they wouldn't really do this thing. They're really just concerned. They're angry. They're worried, whatever. And they're not bad people. Yeah. And like that's. I think those are the people that need to see this movie are the like centralist white people who are so sure that their conservative friend, you know, that lives next door to them and is super nice to them all the time is actually a good person, despite the fact that other people are telling them otherwise, that like other people are uncomfortable around this person. But like, there's a reason, there's a reason black people don't hang out with your friend. Like, you know, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, because I, I, I think and I, I think this was uh, sort of writ large with a lot of the like stuff with, uh, with rape and abuse that's been coming out through, you know, the last few years that like there are people out there who will be super nice to you, who will smile to you and shake your hand and give you every opportunity and treat you well because you're male, because you're white, because you're any number of, of other things that they, you know, that they value. And they are the same people who will then turn around and run people out of town and treat them like shit, abuse them. And when the chips are down, do something horrible to preserve themselves at the cost of other people. Yeah. And they're the messy ones that are more likely to do something hideous, even if they don't uh, intend to. I mean... It, I, I don't know if they're more or less likely because it depends on where you are and it depends on on who's involved and things like that. But they're I should say they're just as these people are just as, as you said, dangerous as the Jessica's. Their unorganized crime is still crime and it's still murder. You know, it doesn't matter who what their intentions were when they went into it. But, uh, you know, and a bully is a bully. And I think that that's that's the important thing about this movie i think that's the takeaway for it and why i think that it does i don't think that everybody who sees it 
already knows. Because I think some of these these little details here and there about how this like good vibes only group of women trying to support each other are also like demons. The priest at this church told them to fuck off, essentially. I think that's an important point here. The the white male priest at the church was saying, like, you have to get out. Like, he was relatively polite for what they were doing, but he also seems, like, incredibly uncomfortable and scared. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, like, I think that's not lost on me either, that, like, yeah, this guy does see them, like, he sees everything. He sees their board that says they're, you know, an Aryan sisterhood and this and that and the other. And his reaction is to just, like, tell them to leave, which is a good start but yes he basically then just turns them loose on the community like he doesn't do anything to stop them he doesn't report them he's he says in fact like i, I wouldn't want to have to report you or whatever yeah. like that's ultimately he puts these women just as much in the crosshairs as, as anybody else in the community yeah and there's so many so much <laughs> conflict within the group about like oh we shouldn't track ourselves and there's this disconnect. They're like, well, we're just doing a prank. Why do we need to act like spies? You know, why are, what are we doing that's wrong? What are we doing that's when they obviously do know? Because especially like Jessica's like, you don't want people to track you. And Emily gets upset about that with their like little email group or whatever. But then in a way, Jessica understands who they are more than they do because they think that they're just being innocent and trying to, to you know, applying the quote-unquote facts that, let's not know, fuck around jessica is part of a crime family like it just yeah. happens to be a white supremacist crime family but you yeah know. i mean that's and emily like after all this shit and after making the the nazi pie still like does a see kyle really quick like she's you know she's never said the word cut before and is like oh <laughs> like it's you know a funny goofy thing yeah the, the, but you're so, so naughty about her doing a sig aisle yeah you're yeah. so naughty to jessica i was like that is that's fucking the, they, they said it the way white women talk about ordering fries yeah yeah getting yeah a second helping you know they're getting yeah. Uh, yeah i'm treating myself yeah god and yeah and then going back to the the priest that is such a such a normal thing like because people don't want like no matter what you're like you don't want to have to have that conversation with somebody but that's a it, you know and you don't want to like the fact that he didn't say hey um we should talk about this or something like that but like he that was another really important lesson in this movie is that you know even though he was so uncomfortable he didn't want to have the conversation and the fact that he didn't have the conversation may have you know who knows but you may have uh, because he's a white man in power he doesn't have to have the conversation no he doesn't that's true yeah like with that community too like i imagine he's also see these people every day and you know and it had an an idea of you know how republican or whatever they are Um, well either at church that character is at church every week two to three times a week yeah. yeah yeah so then now he's seeing like nazi pies and he's like in out of his depth right and which that is one of the most relatable characters in this movie is just seeing that for me, especially because if I'm in a, in a situation like that where the, that's going down, 
I don't know if I could be like, fuck all of you. Because there's a bunch of them and they do have influence, you know, in the same way that you can see both of the sisters, the victims, try to figure out what to do about the situation when they are being assaulted before they're even battered. The threatening posture of, I think it was Marjorie at the door. Yeah. It wouldn't let them leave the fucking supermarket. That is assault. Like, that's legally assault. And that's putting somebody into, like, under duress. That situation, like, you want to preserve yourself. So it's a really tough call. You know, the priest probably had a lot more of an opportunity to do something. But it's, you know, like, we all have to pick our battles. And nothing is more true when you're dealing with a group of bullies, and especially if they're targeting you because of your race or your, your you know, well, in this case, your race or your sexuality, because well, these are definitely homophobic ass people. You, you brought up an interesting question that I'm now thinking, uh, because you mentioned, like, you know, Emily probably in that church, you know, two or three times a week. What is she learning at that church? What kind of sermons are being given, you know? Um, yeah. If she has such a close relationship with them. I, I know it's it's just one of those kind of ambiguities that the movie forces you to deal with. Well, yeah. Th- so there's a, there's a few things going on here, like uh, to, to kind of pull what you were saying before. The, the priest sort of had this opportunity to be like, you know what i'm not like he didn't even have to confront them he could have just been like hey i'm just gonna put out a notice being like these people are straight up white supremacists who are having a meeting at this church and i'll own it and i'm gonna come out and be like maybe i can save face a little bit and say like i wasn't fully aware uh, but as soon as i was aware of just how far it was that doesn't happen craig should have called the cops yeah when, when he left, he should have called the cops and, yeah. and you know, and in a, in a selfish way, even it could have helped him because the fact that he didn't, he's definitely going to be in a lot more trouble now. I, I don't think the police are going to take too kindly to, so you broke into the house with them and you left them there and one of them had a gun. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't want to... You know, again, I, 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 I'm prefacing this very clearly. This is not meant to be victim blaming at all. But the the two girls who were assaulted, it's also like, if you're in a situation like that, either, you, you know, having to take care of yourself too. Because I, you know, again, like one of the things I think that is like a warning, that is something that people should take away from this is, don't just assume that, you know, the, these white women will leave it there yeah, and, and not make it worse. You, you know, in a situation like that, there, there are options, even if you're not calling the cops or something like that in a situation like that, going over somewhere else, like not going straight home or, you know, sticking with a group of people like, you know, reaching out to other friends and being like, hey, this thing happened. I don't want to be alone. Like, you know, that there are like everyone on either on any side of this didn't think they would go as far as they did. And like, I yeah. think that's sort of the the danger and kind of part of the message here, too. 
Well, and I think part, I think that it's not a moral message or sort of mm. like they should have done this kind of message. I think mm. it's the fact that this happened and like, you know, with the, uh, the victims, like you don't expect something like that to happen. You don't yep. expect someone to follow through. You don't expect somebody to invade your house, you yeah. know, especially if they're just like the woman from the wine store, you know, and there's yeah. a bunch of white women, like, yeah, that would rattle me a lot. And, but I think that like, I, if, if everywhere I'd want to go be home, you know, yeah. and especially that their house, cause like the, the, their decision was phenomenally stupid. I mean, like if we look at mm -hmm. it from an objective oh, like, yeah. crime, you know, like of all the crime shit that we've seen on this podcast of all the stuff that we've, you know, whether it is romanticized or not, like this is mm -hmm. obviously one of the messiest most like traceable crimes yeah <laughs> but that's also what, and that's what makes it work because it's so yeah. realistic in that sense because of that's what it would in a situation like that what pe if people were going to break into a house or, or like do those sort of things like that's how it would go in that kind yeah. of yeah situation like oh we're being impulsive and after the fact like uh, i don't know let's uh just take towels and and wipe things and don't yeah. you know it all yeah. yeah even though there's like broken shit everywhere and you know and now you have an eyewitness but like you know they were doing all this thinking like oh we can just bury it and you know i mean it's also very i, I the emily character i really felt i could see the whole story of her like her sad existence and her you know bad decisions and her like just vileness where she is very insecure about not being able to conceive but she's also very like she was somebody who's very very privileged and you know maybe to the and, and also maybe abused in terms of like you know being told she wasn't good enough at various points in her life but also you can see how like with a second when something goes wrong she flips out and you know that's partially privileged you know i think about like people a lot of us when we think about people being um unreasonable we say oh they're sick and you know and i think about the this character and how kind of sad you know you have this pity and you have this you know like there's all these reactions to it and i listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and of course we've talked about this on the show a bunch of times with crime dramas and stuff where you have these killers who are like sick or they are you know they have a mental illness and it's just really sad or you know like you're at a loss of what to do with the reality of the situation and i think it's important that mental illness since it's one of our questions how is mental illness addressed in this movie it's not it's and it shouldn't be you know, like if there is a me mental illness at work here, it is nothing to do with the decisions these people make. You know, like none of these people are going to get off on a uh, like they're not none of these people are going to a correctional facility for the insane or whatever. Like this is, you know, and a, a, a lot of white people, especially a lot of like centrist liberal, liberal white people will hear about this. Things like this happening these kind of a these acts of racism and hate crimes and stuff and just be like well those people must be so sick and it's not a chemical thing you know any much any more than 
the reaction that you get from being in a community is a chemical thing. You know, like it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with mental illness. And, you know, we have terms like sociopathy and, you know, psychopathy, which people throw around a lot when they talk about killers. And this is not, I mean, yeah, this is like perhaps something that a psychopath would do, but these women are sane. They're absolutely sane and they're absolutely aware of what they're doing. And they are just like, like anybody that decides to slip responsibility at, at any second, they are responsible. And in, in that way, like they're, they're anybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're frustrated, sad, scared, and interdependent. Like that's the only things that it, it really takes to, to push them to this. And I, I feel like, I don't know if you guys had the sense of this from the moment that they break into the house, but like from the moment that they break into the house, this is the way things are going to go. Like, yeah. Cause there's no amount of damage they can do to this house and to these people's lives that is going to satiate them. There's like nothing they can do. That's going to leave them feeling that they're, you know, that they've gotten, theirs right yeah yeah and there's no like once once they see them then like they can tell themselves all day long that they're just going to scare them they're just going to rough them up but they're never going to be satisfied that these people that they don't view as people as humans are not going to you know lot are not going to turn on them are not going to lie to them to get out of the situation so like they're you know the they're like in this case, especially with this particular group, like the you know killing of these people is inevitable because they're just like their own self-preservation. As much big game as they talk is 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 more important to them than anything else. Yeah, and part of the whole like it's some of their dialogue. Part of their whole thing, you know, as as they were sort of feeling the situation, the racist women, as they were feeling the situation, kind of felt a lot of control as it inevitably did a lot of them were blaming the victims being like well they should have done this and they you know and in any situation like that that is you know you can't expect somebody to act the way you want them to act and you know there's a lot of a lot of horrible things happen that way because people want someone to do something that to to control somebody yeah i mean there are several points in the movie where they tell each other that they haven't done anything wrong where they tell this person, we couldn't have known that she was allergic to peanuts. You haven't done anything wrong. We couldn't have, you know, done this any other way. Like, yeah, you know, we're we're fine. And I think that is like that is the truest display of like white supremacy. Is yeah. this like idea that white people are better than every other sort of person. And if there's any sort of evidence that they're not, then that means that those people have cheated. That they've cheated the yeah. system somehow. They've worked the system. Somebody has replaced them or given them something that should have been the you know the white person's. So like, there is no way to disprove white supremacy because it is not a logical idea. Like yeah, yeah. Any any time that you like, and in this case, I mean they they show it throughout that like any time that something has gone wrong or or something is is wrong, it's not their fault. It's not something they did you know, that the system is somehow fucked up, that these people have done things wrong. So like, I, I think that's an, 
I think that's an important takeaway from this movie. Yeah. 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 Well, well also it's like it. that they complain so much about things that kind of have nothing to do with them even. Yeah. Like, you know, first of all, I, I, I gotta say, don't get me wrong. This house was gorgeous. I would love to live there. But it's not like a mansion or anything. You know, it's 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 kind of modest. But every item that they see in this house, they're like, oh, well, how come they're supposed to, how come they have that? And like, oh, well, meanwhile, I'm working this stupid job. And it's like, they're not doing any of this to be like, oh, uh, that white lady who comes into the shop sometimes annoys me. So I'm going to like, buy this random thing for my home to show how much I hate her. <laughs> like, or have this thing in my house to, you know, that I inherited or whatever. Like, yeah. It's stuck yeah. in the house. It's the it was narcissism of, like, everything that's not white must be a commentary or a reflection or or, or, or an inversion of what they perceive as whiteness. And it's like, no, you just, no one's thinking about you that much. With the wine interaction, there's the whole, like, they try to bully them into spending money that they don't think they're going to have. And when she does have $300, it can't be because she's good at her job, because she's a waitress who, you know, has tips. It must be that she's a prostitute. It must be this thing because she can't possibly be good at a thing she can't possibly have money that she's actually earned like it you know it, it doesn't it doesn't need evidence like white supremacy doesn't need evidence it, it's no. self it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah from from a, a film perspective as well before i i forgot to mention this i i do think they also did a great job having the gun as like a red herring because yeah. you know when they break in they have the gun you kind of jump to that conclusion, like someone's going to get shot and no one actually gets shot in, in the house. Other horrific it's not things a checkout stand. Check yeah. off peanuts. Yeah, exactly. Peanut M and M's. But yeah, but that was a good, good, uh, good flip on that. I think. I, I think they pulled that off well. Yeah, no, I do like that because the gun. That's it's a really good red herring because the gun is usually so. We're so familiar with that narrative from movies to news you know someone gets shot and i think that there's a there's enough saturation of that kind of narrative that you know that also can desensitize people to (laughs) the um the just did someone gets shot narrative and they're like oh well they were just idiots with a gun you know and like the fact that they had a gun made sense the fact that they didn't use it you know i think was also a little bit more realistic because yeah. these were also not the kind of people that weren't aware of how a gun works. And, you know, they had people die when they are killed. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's it's very telling that, like, they have this gun. And that is often, like, the way that that bit is played in movies is, like, it's just a split-second decision. You know, somebody just, they have the gun and they accidentally pull the trigger. Or there's, you know, this this collision or whatever. And the gun goes off and somebody dies. Whereas, like, they're very careful to let you know in this movie that, like, yeah, sure, maybe they don't know that Lily has a peanut allergy, but she very deliberately does not give her the EpiPen. Uh, yeah. Like, they 
Anne doesn't just get shot and die suddenly. Like she really hands on smothers this girl with a pillow. Like this girl who is tied up and cannot get away. You know, she first rapes her and then smothers her with a pillow. Yeah. And even when they're like doing all this shit, like putting the uh the mayonnaise in their hair and putting the food in their mouth and then close like that you can't that is torture. Like they basically yeah. waterboarded her with alcohol and M&Ms, you know? She could have choked anyway without like a peanut allergy. In fact, they were assuming that she was choking. And then like have somebody was like, oh, pat her on the back. And you could also see the disconnect there with the, you know, the reality of the situation. And the uh, group think that was also going on, not to really overuse that term, but, you know, I think that's an important element of this story is how, you know, like, again, that community vibe can become vile so quickly. And, uh, you know, how a, an innocent book club meeting can become murder. What's racism never helps. between friends? Just racism doesn't help anything, okay? I mean, I know we all needed this <laughs> reminder. But Finally, like, this many episodes in, we get yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me uh, sip my tea, hot take. Violence um, occasionally solves things. Racism, never. Yeah. Yeah. So someone in the comments is gonna find the one thing that racism can actually solve, and we're all gonna look silly. Well <laughs> some people say segregation is applicable to laundry, but I think that that even is not as uh that's my hot take, is that the way that laundry works these days and the way that washing machines work. Yeah, there's no need for segregation even in laundry. Yeah. All right. Uh guys, do we think this movie's <laughs> feminist? Um in a weird way, yes. I think this movie is absolutely feminist. I think that this is an incredibly feminist movie because it also shows how fucking hideous these white women are. Yeah. And how they are to their husbands. Like, you know, because there's also the narrative that you have racist wives and they're like, oh, well, they're just being abused and they don't know what they're doing and all this kind of stuff. Again. And then the fact that they are so. The characters are so anti-feminist. Yeah. Alicia made this great point right after we watched it. I was I was saying something about their group in the church and their feminism while not feminism. And she's like, oh, no, it's feminism. It's just first wave feminism. It's like power for these white women. Like that's, yeah. you know, what yeah. they're interested in. They want to be able to decide their fates. They want to be able to decide what they're like. And they're very specifically specifically in in this conversation like dehumanize women of color and talk about them as as animals not being yes. human not being feminine and female and how like their being white women is standing up for feminine for femininity period and they have this real like not to get into a whole different topic but this whole like trad wife thing going on uh, especially oh, for Emily. sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, uh, that, no, like, that's is, absolutely worth the conversation. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. Is a lot. But yeah, I, I think the movie itself is feminist and that they do portray these women as complicated, as, as having internal lives, as having their own shit going on and making their own decisions based on like their own lives, what they've experienced, what they've been taught and told and. Uh, what they are then passing on to a new generation. I don't think 
that can be lost in the sea there is is how sure. how much emphasis is put both in Emily and Jessica's character in the the like passing this on to young kids and Kim yeah, yeah. Kim, Kim, Kim also. a little less so like because hers hers is she has kids and is racist whereas like you know Emily doesn't even have kids she wants kids but she is invested in passing this racism on to this like second grader that's there and like yeah reinforcing this idea of you know him being superior to this adult woman janitor because she is latina yeah well i think i mean with kim there were a lot of things that she said in the meeting where she's talking about homeschooling and how they're looking for alternative education and all this kind of stuff like she's definitely you know that kind of menace but uh she's you know not institutional the way that emily or jessica are in terms of like how she applies that but it's still bad yeah i don't know it's fast no question that all of the people in this movie are bad yeah or all, all of the all of the women in this club are bad yeah um, yeah well there is this sort of bit because with, with jessica there's this weird kind of thing you, you take for the movie being like the the women there who actually have the blood on their hands from the events that took place may ultimately have done less harm in the world than this person who has this like real and, and she gets out like scot-free because nothing's really going to happen to her and yeah. she and she's going to continue and more people I, the implication I feel from that is, you know, more people are going to suffer and die because the people like her are too, you know, too quote unquote smarter, however you want to describe it, to to get into that kind of position, and will continue to allow others to to fall into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's the one who knows that she's a criminal, and that they are criminals. And, and then there's, um, you know, there's no question that there's guys out there that host radio shows and podcasts and hold political office who will never see the inside of a prison who have caused way more death and suffering to you know people of color and, and queer people and, and everything than than these you know four women even these four you know four horrible fictional women uh have you know they, they've they've killed two people and that's uh that is horrible and it is unforgivable but you know, in a lot of cases, the they are those people are influenced and taught and brought around by the people who, you know, go back home and write the newsletter. Yeah. Theoretically, Jessica's still writing that newsletter at the end of this movie. She's at home working on it right now. It's interesting because I think about how just wild it is with like just in general. I don't know. This is this is gonna be a little bit of a tangent, but all of these politicians sure of sound like every single you know i don't know i don't know maybe we should cut this out i don't know i was just gonna say it's just funny that a lot of the co politicians get like don't you know just get off so scot-free and then like everyone thinks that charles manson was like the biggest baddest criminal ever when he never actually killed anybody he just told some people to do it because they were on drugs and also racist that was the whole reason that they did those things is because they were trying to start a race war you know those people were insane those people all were like very insane and i think that's what makes this more scary is that these people are not 
but it's just like that's something that I think about a lot especially how you know I grew up with movies like natural born killers and stuff like that where you have these stories about these individuals who are criminals and sometimes romanticized in very racist communities right because then you have this the bad boy or you know the fringe person or whatever and they're the hero but nobody's told the story about how heroic that charles manson was you know don't don't get them started yeah (laughs) i mean some people on tumblr sure but like and twitter but you know apple finally did decide to tell me that henry kissinger died today i understand them wanting to be absolutely sure (laughs) (laughs) he didn't somehow weasel his way out of it yeah Um, practicing chess for months um anyway i so that was that's my little i was i was just thinking about it as you were talking about that i feel like in some ways this movie is sort of like 2023 white woman taxi driver like it's Mm -hmm. got that same like i don't know that that same feeling of frustration taxi driver it it, it, well it's not quite the story of somebody being radicalized like taxi driver but it it does i'll say that it shows different women at different stages of their radicalization yes i think it's more of a women american history x you know yeah yeah that's that's where i think that like you know uh, except there's no there's no redemption arc for any of these women yeah, which I, really which I also appreciate. Exactly. Like, there's yeah. not that. Like, um, maybe, maybe Craig has some sort of redemption after the events of this movie. Maybe. But that that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, redemption arts are an interesting thing because it's not that weird. At heart, very Christian. Mm-hmm. And and so you know again to bring it back to something like mouse like I think what makes a lot of non-Jewish people or I should say I should say specifically Christian people uncomfortable with that book is because there's nothing about martyrdom or you know no 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 you know nobody as Art Spiegelman has said like suffering doesn't make you a better person it just makes you suffer. Yeah. And I think it is important for there to be redemption stories out in the world because, you know, it is possible for some people to realize like, oh, I am fucking up big time. I'm going to change. So I'm not, you know, the fast forward for the rest of my life. But it's also important to have the stories of people who are hateful do something stupid and evil and they don't learn anything from it. Yeah. And they, and they probably never will. Yeah. I I mean, I think, you know, when we talked a little bit about this is like, like this kind of racism, especially white supremacy is like a lot of it is built around insulating people from the idea of redemption. Like, you know, as backing them up and continuing to tell them they haven't done anything wrong and continuing to say that like, oh no, they're being fucked over by the system. The system is to blame. 
you can't seek you you can't find redemption if redemption is not something you're seeking you know yeah and i I think that's very true of the way that these characters are, are framed in this movie is like there's there's no point that if one of them is like hey guys i'm out that like that's gonna end well for them <laughs> yeah and that's one of the more i think like unique messages that the movie is is telling us because like america american history x has sort of a redemption arc but the ending spoilers is you know the violence is just the, the violence they committed is not something you can really escape from you know and this is yeah i think this is yeah. a bit of a, a clearer way even though there's not we don't see the return fire, so to speak, in this movie, which, you know, does require, like, in order to see the justice being served for these people, you know, we do have to trust the system, which is, you know, always a little dicey in, in a narrative. But, you know, I can see that happening here. But, you know, I'm also white in the system. I'm rooting for that one woman who they thought they killed. That's the part of it that I think like the I think the implication is because she survived that they would have, you know, very little difficulty. Like that's not to say like I, I think that is an interesting sequel, right? It, it, like, yeah, the, the interesting elements are how the town reacts to the news who they're supporting or disappointed with and all of that. I think clearly people would be going down in that, but I think the interesting part of it would be who gets the lenient sentences because they're not all going to jail for second degree murder. They're just not. Yeah. So that then becomes really interesting story. Like, oh, this, this, and this, that like this person's the one that goes away. These aren't. Some of them are, they're going to be, in the community mulling around they'll be out on bail or whatever and like seeing how that all works like there's an interesting story there but again that's a whole that's a full another hour and a half movie yeah you know i am not actually that optimistic about the future of this fictional town (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean i think leslie who is a who has a previous conviction is definitely going to jail, and I think Emily and Kim are rolling over on her immediately, like, and you know, doing it for a promise of a lesser sentence or whatever. They're they're gonna tell people that oh yeah, you know, her and Marjorie were the ones who did the heavy lifting of this thing. Yeah, and you know, because Emily is a kindergarten teacher and well regarded in the community, and Kim is a small business owner, that like they're probably gonna get off. Who knows where Marjorie lands and all that? I mean. You know, Leslie even says as much in the movie that like Kim is friendly with all the cops that come in. Like, you know, they're yeah. they're, they're friends. They know each other. They'll probably be fine as yeah. long as you know they don't have a witness or you know it, before they kill anybody. When it's just like their word against you know these girls that they invaded their place and beat them up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the big difference with. American History X that I felt like kind of muddied the water there was the fact that yeah, you know, in some people's view, the redemption didn't matter because it's still they still got killed, you know. But in this movie, we don't have that kind of I think that this is the, the fact that they held back on seeing the results yeah. was a little bit better because in in the end, then the, they did not get what they wanted. They did not get a clean, you know 
crime committed and hidden. You know, they're not going to really get away with it. They might still walk, but there are going to be consequences for their actions. And that's, you know, the issue that got them into this mess in the first place is that they did not expect consequences because they were, you know, they had their various ideas of who they were and what their worth was and what they deserved that were tied into, you know, their racism and their personal frustrations. There was a homophobia in the movie. There, you know, we. I, I think thought we there were about... several homophobia. Oh yeah. Oh yes, yeah. Let's be real. There, there's the one directly to the two sisters that the implication. And there's just, there's also just all the slurs. But yeah, I yeah. think that that's the one like physical, in person confrontation. There was just the. I, I guess technically, it's with, you know, Emily and Craig. There's also, I guess, there's like two in person like I, i'm trying to think yeah but yeah, yeah so there, there's, that's a lot i guess there there's plenty for one movie yeah. yeah well and emily emily fully commits to the homophobic shaming of of craig's masculinity yeah and says several f words to him several different homophobic f words yeah. There, well, there's a lot of different. There's a lot yeah. of like, there's, like there's a few out there. There, there were, I, 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 there were slurs in this movie. I didn't know people still used. Oh yeah, for for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that <laughs> there's very little chance that like Leslie, in the situation she's describing, having been in prison and being part of like a gang there that feels like family, there's very little chance that there wasn't like some sort of sexual something there. And like that, you know, that doesn't stop people from continuing to be terrible uh, homophobes when they get out of prison, because, you know, that's different, I guess. It is. Yeah, there's a it's that's another whole suitcase that I really don't want to unpack. But um, yeah, there's so many, so many suitcases in this. Yeah, this is a freaking Avita out here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really proud of that one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) what does that leave class and race which are sort of inexplicably or inextricably tied together in this and is basically all we've been talking about the whole time yeah (laughs) that's the whole movie yeah (laughs) yeah about class and race and how they intersect and i do want to reiterate that i like that you have racist of maybe different classes although they may not be as different as they think they are um yeah, there's there's some thoroughly middle class and upper class upper middle class racists in here, and then you know some less some a little down on their luck racists in here as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> lower middle class to you know decidedly poor. Yeah, uh, I guess that uh, that leads to the question of uh, guys, do you recommend people watch this movie? Yes? Question mark for real. Uh, I all the, the triggers. You know, like, like, don't name the triggers for people because that would be spoilers in some cases. But just assume if there is a common trigger, it is probably in this movie. I'm going to argue with that one a little bit. I I would just say, like, you you don't ever want to. I don't think spoiler warnings apply to rape. Okay, that's. that's Yeah, 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 yeah. um, Yeah, yeah, I don't think, like sexual violence is something that people will need to worry about being spoiled for i think 
okay. putting that warning yeah. out there up front, especially. That is extremely fair, and uh, my mistake for being a little bit caustic about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think like that. I almost think like the racism isn't necessarily like something you. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's something that people need to be cautioned about. If it's something that should be spoiler warning or not, because I do think that like high reveal is one so clear like yeah the point that you yeah. see that you're like yeah. oh this is about racism before any like horrible racism has already happened you know and also like i think there is some benefit to people going in not knowing that's like that this is a character that they should hate from jump but uh, I, agree. Sort of, I agree yeah. yeah yeah i mean i would definitely only recommend this movie with that caveat of like is this you know yeah I, I I I I mean I I I had kind of have like a blanket thing I say for movies like this that are very good and worth watching but very difficult to recommend because you're you're kind of gonna have a bad time. Yeah, just say make sure you're in the right state of mind for this movie because it, it is a really. It is a really hard watch, and um, if you're not prepared for the level of intensity and hate and violence, like and even like kind of unspoken, unshown violence, yeah, that's just something you have to be aware of before you walk into it. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely would come with caveats. Like, if my spoiler warning for this movie was, you know, other than like. This is what it's about. It is it's also very real. And yeah. you know, it's it may be listed with American History X, but this is not the same kind of tale that American History X yeah. is. This is this is not that. And you know, even without like if I knew somebody who did would like think this movie was interesting or whatever, like who would definitely like appreciate this movie. You know, that's something where I'm like, and even people who watch American History X don't like want to watch it a lot. You know, it's yes. like, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of people like, you know, Darren Aronofsky, but if you're watching Requiem for a Dream like that much, stop. You're. I watched it once. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I still haven't seen that one. I love Aronofsky, but. Uh... It's really yeah. good, and you only need to see it once. I watched yeah, it once. Yeah. I made the mistake of watching it by myself. By the end of it, I was sort of like on my my bed in the fetal position watching this movie. Uh, yeah. Oddly um, enough, though, one one movie like that that I've seen twice was uh, Kids. I haven't seen that. Haven't yeah, seen that. that's I, that's another one of those like you really only need to see it once. But I happened to be with a group of people, and a bunch of them didn't see it, and that's how I ended up being like. All right, I guess I'm buckling up into this again. <laughs> yeah, I I haven't seen that one, but I did first hear about it from my the phys ed teacher that was also my health teacher in eighth grade, yep. and he was like, "Well, if if it was loud, I would show you guys this movie called Kids." Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I, 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 from what I've heard about that movie, I'm not sure it would be a good idea to show that to a bunch of 14 year olds <laughs> if, 
yeah That's, like just, yeah. some movies are good um homework for college <laughs> like this is a college class like i think this is a really good discussion group college class movie or like you know any sort of discussion group movie it's really great i'm glad i'm doing it now it's not a movie it's not like dracula that <laughs> it's not bram stoker's dracula where you can watch it over and over again and you know it doesn't matter what state of mind you're in or what like how much alcohol you've had if there's something enjoyable that <laughs> you know I want that to be the pull quote on the next issuing of Kids, right on the front. It's no Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be a true statement. Like that would yeah. be, um, yeah, that would be That's undeniable fact. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, if we're going to do things like that, we might as well just, like, buckle in and be like, well, you know, Requiem for a Dream ain't no, you know, Shark Tale 3. <laughs> um, which is true, I'd like to think. I haven't seen Shark Tale 3. I don't know if there's a Shark Tale Is there a Shark Tale 3? I, I don't know. I don't I'm know. only familiar with the first one, which I never saw. Uh, yeah, like, I never saw it either, but, like, I know that those movies just, like, bleed sequels. Like, it's true. yeah, they create sequels, like, the way that some, like, some sea creatures propagate themselves by exploding or just, like, disintegrating themselves into gametes. Anyway, I'm sorry I brought that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want to say... <laughs> We said Requiem, I have a list here. You said Requiem for a Dream already. Hard Candy. Boys Don't Cry. Grave Hell of the Fireflies. Yeah. Hereditary. Audition. American History X. Clockwork Orange. Soft and Quiet. Like, these are all movies that are incredibly well made and have a lot to say and are, are I think it's difficult to argue that they're not good, but I cannot imagine just offhandedly recommending them to anybody i can't imagine oh yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. it's like lighting a bomb and being like here um <laughs> yeah. yeah like i i can't imagine there there are very few people that i can imagine even with caveats and, and everything like saying you should watch this movie i can imagine yeah. saying this is a good movie you might want to watch it but not like not just telling them it's something they need to experience because it's it's a rough one. And I, 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 mean, I wonder, I do wonder with this movie, if there's people like watching this that are like not necessarily seeing themselves, but being like, oh, I had a, a second grade teacher who was like that. Like, I, oh, my God, like maybe, you know, I, I, th I think maybe I've been indoctrinated by white supremacists, you know, Um <laughs> I think there is a, a good chance of people maybe seeing this and being like, maybe that really racist coworker of mine who says things and does this is this. Maybe I should have a conversation with this person or, or, or yeah. something like that. And actually, yeah, I should report what they say. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, but um, but yeah, this is very much I feel a. I would categorize this as a. Um, a feel good movie. Recommend right. with yeah yeah feel good <laughs> movie breezy. I'd say it's breezy, but um, I would say this is a um, a recommend with care. A mm. the situations you're recommending this are 
you are, are are physically in in the same room as the person talking about things and something comes up or maybe this movie comes up or movies that are like talking about those specific subjects and you go oh there's this movie if you haven't seen it yet or oh you know i saw that movie and you can feel the person out in person and you could there could be a, yeah. a little q a like that's a good situation too that this is not really one of those like blanket recommends uh, i mean yeah. you know it's, yeah it's like i wouldn't like go on, on on twitter or blue sky or instagram and be like i just want something quiet and totally recommend anybody i'm yeah. not saying anything after that sentence <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like no, i was tempted to go on like one of those and just say that i'm watching this and thinking of changing my name and that was like it but you know, I also like <laughs> I posted this on our little our little group chat, and Ben was like, "Oh, what do you want to change it to?" And I'm like, "Oh no, this has to do with the movie. I'm not actually serious, but you know, sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be Emily." <laughs> like no, the vast majority uh, of Emily, in fact, maybe the entirety of Emily's I've met in my life have been absolutely lovely people. Uh, thank you. So, I, I know a lot of good Emily's too. And I, again, some of them have changed their name just because there's so many of us. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, some of them have had other reasons, of course, but I'm not worried about, like, really deep down, I'm not worried and neither should you, Emily, out there who's also, like, seen this movie and is mortified by the use of your name. Like, you know, it ha it happens to all of us. It comes for all of us. Unless your name is like, well, actually, it will come to all the Sephiroth Ken's case that are going to be born of, of my generation and all the kids named Naruto. It'll come back around. There will be a movie about this shitty kid, the shitty bully kid named Naruto because we've forgotten the original connotation of Naruto. I mean, if humanity lasts that long. I don't think I've seen a, uh, a fictional um, villain named Greg in uh in media yet i think there have been but it depends on the, it's it's very specific to certain genres i feel like it, it would have to be in like one of those kind of like yuppie thrillers with michael douglas from the 80s or, or early 90s like the words yuppie thriller are so like that really paints a very specific picture well, I I just saw I, love it. I, think I just saw perfect. Fatal Attraction for the first time the other night, and I was shocked because I went into it thinking it would just be like trashy fun at best. Uh -huh. Like I never really heard people talk about this movie that much, other than just like parodies. But hey, here's like a hot take from thirty five years ago. Fatal Attraction, legitimately really good movie. Like, not, a, I am not being facetious at all. That's, a, I, we're going off topic here, but I'm just saying. Um, oh, we are? Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, I've been talking about Fatal Attraction this whole time. <laughs> you know that part, Fatal Attraction, where they are all Nazis, like secret Nazis? <laughs> The bunny was the Nazi. They had to boil it. Yeah. So do we have, do we have other recommendations other than Fatal Attraction? 
<laughs> um, well, if you want to see more white women being mean, uh, you can watch Mean Girls. Uh, no, seriously, no. I Mean Girls was great. Don't get me wrong. Like you should absolutely watch Mean Girls if you haven't. Um, but um, I'm actually going to recommend a comic book if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll meet you. Um, so I imagine if you've just watched this movie, you, you know, might want to explore more about like kind of the history of white supremacy in America, but you also desperately need a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. Um, what I would recommend to you and to many other people, this is actually something I, I would recommend to literally everyone. Superman Slashes the Clan by Jean Luen Yang, Guri Hiru, yeah. and I believe Jazz Cheng, because it's so, so just a little background context. There was a Superman story in the 1950s called uh, Superman versus the Clan of the Fiery Cross which was obviously a KKK analog, but it I'm giving the very short version of the story. This story did so much to make the KKK look bad that actually like tangibly hurt the KKK in real life. So this is kind of Gene Yang's retelling of that story. It's still set in the 19... It looks vaguely the post-war period, but you know it has some more modern sensibilities. You have Guri Hiru, which is nice. just an unstoppable art team, and like it really is the kind of book where I look. I'm not a parent, but I'd imagine you know if you have a child who you feel is ready to you know learn about hard things like you know white supremacy and hate and stuff like that this is a really good book to use to introduce them to that and, and again it's it's not nearly as dark as this movie so you know you do have you know teenagers learning stop being racist and it's also just a really great take on a young superman too uh it's pretty much it, it, I, I, I when i reviewed it a couple of years ago for the beat called it the best superman story since all-star yeah, just just read it. <laughs> Will do. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Joe, what have you got? Well, uh, I think after that, I would still suggest you know, Dial In for Murder. It's a fun movie about uh, a botch murder. But um, if you want to see a good movie that you'll never want to watch again, where a white girl gets what's coming to her, I'd also recommend Dancer in the Dark. Yeah. I, I, I've actually never seen that one. Yeah, add that to my list real quick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget. Oh, oh. You like musicals? Why don't you try this one? Um Jesus that's Christ. I'm not serious, please don't. Um yeah. Who Joe <laughs> coming in hot here <laughs> um i'm here for it, it um we're, we're creating a playlist that's like the fundamental opposite of those like try not to laugh <laughs> YouTube videos. yeah 
It's like, all right, Try now, now that you finish up Schindler's dread. List, follow it up with Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> God. Oof, doofa. Okay, so I have recommendations too. Yeah, go for it. One is related and one is not. If you want to see a, a show, a media thing about white people being really dumb and like insidious with their racism um but in this case it's a very very different take there's this new show presented to us by a24 and it's called the curse and watch that yeah it is like it's about a, a white couple a privileged white couple in new mexico trying to host a reality show that they're calling flipanthropy and they are trying to quote unquote help the disadvantaged members of the community and it's basically like the most i think it's slightly more cringe than reality television actually it's not as bad to me because it's it's fiction and it's also has its like surreal elements which is fun music awesome but yeah it's it's definitely worth a watch i wouldn't binge it that comes with that caveat it does get like very you know appetite suppressant in its own ways but it is a comedy and it is about how these people are disasters and how they're well-meaning and they just continue to be disasters and then if you want something that's palate cleanser from this i also just recently began scavenger's reign which is the new animated if you have max it's a new animated kind of psychedelic drama show and it's like Hmm. it's basically no man's sky and fantastic planet but like this new incredible crazy weird show and i i live for it it's my it's my shit it's my jam so that has nothing to do with this other than it's a good thing to watch that has nothing to do with this that's like i maybe i want to actually take an edible and and forget what just happened and watch you know these weird mushrooms do things what's the name of that show again scavenger's rain scavenger's rain okay yeah it's a Mm -hmm. it's a titmouse production and i know that they've been doing some cool stuff so the that one is on i think it's max exclusive okay Um, yeah but max original yeah. Well, so, Ben has Max, so I'll just yeah, I'll go watch for it after it. this. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, drugs are optional, especially where you are. I'm not going to say do them, but I will say that you don't really need to with this show yes. because it's just that psychedelic and cool. So Good. Uh, enjoy. Well, let's see. I have been playing a 20-year-old video game that I dearly love i had never played it before because i didn't have a playstation 3 or 4 but now that i have a 5 i've been going back and playing things that i missed i have been playing shadow of the colossus yeah um, which is is the best video game i think you can make without hiring a writer Um, (laughs) (laughs) it has no story those no video story. games, like that and Ico, and like the other one with the Griffin or whatever, like yeah. that is the perfect description of the kind of games that that studio makes. It's like, yeah, by artists for artists. Because it's plot. like basically somebody was like, "What if Zelda?" But I didn't want to hire somebody to write a story or design dungeons or have other creatures that you have to fight 
or things that you have to pick up or quests, really. What if it was 100% boss battles? Um, and the boss battles are so well designed because it's it's just like you're a, this is, the entire plot is you're a guy with a sword on a horse that brings a dead and or dying princess, it's a little unclear, somewhere between life and death to this weird temple and you're like, hey, I heard if I brought her here that you could bring her back. And this mysterious voice is like, uh, sure, all you have to do is kill these enormous colossuses that live in this valley. There's 16 of them. They're the size of skyscrapers. You don't know what a skyscraper is because you're a little link type of guy. But, you know, you're going to have to kill these things that are, you know, 20 times your height that you literally have to climb just to fight. And like, it's it. the design is incredible. The controls are a little bit annoying because they're a little simplistic in some places, but like um, <laughs> you're not always looking or going quite the direction you want to because they're like, but look how fucking cool this is. Um, and you're like, but I can't see where I'm going. And they're like, yes, but it's hot, right? Like <laughs> the stuff you're you're not seeing what you want to see, but the stuff you are seeing looks great, right? Especially for now a 20 year old video game. It was released in 2005. So yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember playing the demo of that from PlayStation Magazine and really loving it. My, but, my memory uh, of it is watching the Adam Sandler film Rain Over Me, uh, where it was used <laughs> as like a a like comparison for like these big problems with like addiction and stuff that he was facing, you know, fighting these colossuses. Uh yeah, he's playing that game in rain over me um, do you recommend rain over me what i don't know it's been a while since i watched that movie i remember liking it at the time but i am a sucker for like any movie that at that point that was like video games are good actually <laughs> i know. just am still trying to get my head around the fact that there was an adam sandler movie that used shadow of the colossus in the plot yeah as a, like, as a metaphor it's like the- in the plot for other shit he was dealing with he's trying yeah. to be unstoppable giant colossuses and they're like decidedly a metaphor for big things he's dealing with this- are, are they a metaphor for dare i ask if they're a metaphor for anything in soft and quiet video games <laughs> no just your shadow of the colossus specifically well you know I could tell i could say some stuff but i think it would pro- it would definitely um spoil shadow of the colossus uh, so, okay, I, I yeah. would love to play it someday. Like, yeah, it's it's, a- it's one of those demos that I played and was I'm still thinking about it today. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's and that was the case for me. Is it was like something that I saw and I was like, well, it's cool. I'm going to play that. And then like I didn't have a PlayStation for, you know, since the PlayStation Two, and so like it's on PlayStation Plus. If you have that, it's it's free on there. It's one of the games you can play. So like I finally. After working my way through Ghost of Tsushima, I decided that that was like the next PlayStation title I was going to take on. And uh, it is really great even 20 years later. So not not all games last 20 years. Yeah, it's a real oh, Panzer like... Dragoon, that one. I, don't, I actually don't know if a Panzer Dragoon lasts. <laughs> also, you need I think you need a Saturn for that. which You probably do. Definitely didn't last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was struggling over what to recommend because I feel like I don't want to recommend anything that's too closely related to this movie. 
it was either that or follow the house of usher which i just finished with alicia this last week but i think we've talked about follow the house of usher already which is great and has a phenomenal cast and uh, oh my god the cast is fantastic yeah like all of my favorites from all of the other you know netflix shows and a a few extra baked in there mark hamill that's right that's the one that's the new one that has a like is elijah wood in there no can't remember he's the only one that's not everybody else is in it elijah wood is not (laughs) um it's just he's the only one yeah it has carly gugino and has bruce greenwood mary mcdonald raul coley Sania Miller, who I, I love in uh, the other one of these, The uh, Haunting of Bly Manor. Yes. Like my favorite part of that. It's, yeah, because it's another Mike Flanagan series. So it's got a lot of the like haunting uh, people in there, but also like Mark Hamill playing Arthur Pym, who's their like lawyer for this group in there, who is just like hard ass, amazing character. And of course, Kate Siegel, who I, I love in all of this stuff. That's right. All of them. I am only like six out of eight episodes into uh, The Haunting of Full House, but I'm enjoying it so far. I like the other Mike Flanagan stuff I've watched. Yeah, the, the only Mike Flanagan one I haven't watched is Midnight Club. I had a whole, I did a whole rash of them last year where I watched Hill House and then Bly Manor and then Vampire Island. I can't remember the name of that movie. That's <laughs> Vampire Island. Um, is it really called Vampire Island? No, but it's about an island with vampires. Um, it's a oh, really okay. good title for something, though. <laughs> yeah. Vampire Island. Great title. Not the name. I, of it. I'm Mass. imagining like Midnight like Mass a resort for vampires. Yeah, I'm I'm wanting to see that reality show. Like that's a reality show I'd watch. Welcome to Vampire Island. <laughs> Have you seen Midnight Mass, Emily? Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, sure. I've seen part of it. But yeah, that's also like a vamp. That's oh, that's what you're talking about? It's Vampire Island. Vampire Island, yes. I was no, okay. I was like, I wonder if you said no, I can't be talking about it. and then yeah, no, that's Vampire Island. Yes. I watched some of that. Yeah. I should say, Mike Flanagan movies, uh, and TV shows. Sure, watch them. Hush is good. You know, Love I heard Hush. Dr. Sleep is good. Blind Manor's great, Midnight Ma- Doctor Sleep great. is good. Yeah. It's controversial, but I like it. Gerald's Game, another rough watch. Weird ending, but Ooh. it's Stephen King, so that's why. Um, <laughs> great movie. Weird ending. Stephen. Oh, Stephen. I love Hush. We still need to talk about that on here at some point. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. All right. And Craig, do you want to let people know where they can uh, find you online, find out about what you're up to? So I, I haven't like deleted my Twitter entirely, but I did take it off my phone. So yeah, I haven't of time. I haven't tweeted in like a month. So um I'm basically not using it anymore. I also put myself I, I, I locked my account. But if you're cool, I mean you, you can still follow me there. I'm not gonna do anything for a while. The better place to find me is on Blue Sky. I'm like at Greg Silver or something there. And uh, I'm definitely at Greg Silver on Instagram if you want to find me there too. And like I said last time I was here, I can't talk about it yet, but I'm working on a book. There is a publisher. It will happen at some point. Keep it on your radar. It will come out. 
eventually, but I can't talk about it yet. Well, congrats, congratulations on the um, the NDA progress there. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And uh, Joe, what about you? Sure. On uh, Twitter and Blue Sky, I'm at Joe Corallo. That's J-O-E-C-O-R-A-L-L-O. And on Instagram, it's at Corallo Joe. And uh, the latest offering for me is the uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice YA graphic novel. It's going to be out March 12th, which you can pre-order now through Mad Cave's uh, website. It's through their Maverick imprint. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Also, I just went on my my blue sky, and uh, yes, it is just accurate silver dot blue sky dot social. Nice, yeah, and uh, Emily, what about you? Yeah, Moss, Twitter, blue sky, Tumblr, mega underscore Moss on Instagram, of course, and then the Patreon, which is mega Moss. But after you go check out Progressively Horrified on Patreon, you know you can check me out too. And I am Jeremy Whitley on Blue Sky and Tumblr and jrome 58 on Twitter and Instagram. I am currently, we have the uh, the second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls is out now from myself and Jamie Noguchi. It's exciting. We're excited about it. We're working on the third volume already. So we're, you know, hopefully won't be three, three years in between volumes this time. But, you know. Our press got bought and there was a pandemic and everything else. So so the second one is out. Third one is, is coming. Uh, also in February, we have uh, I have my next book with Titan, which um, I wrote and Megan Wong illustrated, uh, which is uh, it's called The Cold Ever After. It's a queer Arthurian noir action adventure thing. So <laughs> check that out. It's uh, it's wild. I don't think it's like anything else that uh, I've written for sure. It's definitely more aimed for grownups than anything else I've had come out. And if uh, you know, if you're looking for something else, there's still got Pony Comics coming out. As for the podcast, you can find us online at any number of places, including progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. Uh, you can find us on our Patreon, where you can help us out and they'll help us make more shows uh we will also we'd also love for you to rate and review us you know, even if you can't afford to do patreon you don't want to do patreon we'd love just to take the time to rate and review us so other people can find the podcast and we can uh, get more people in here so we can make more stuff we appreciate it i do want to again thank greg and joe for joining us guys this was a, a great time even if not such a fun movie yeah thank yeah, you no, yeah thank you you know, it, it was amusing watching us all try to add some love to it. <laughs> yeah. Good job, team. We did it. Yeah. Talked I quoted Sesame it. Street, so. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, so so go watch Requiem for a Dream after. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> just just making that clear. <laughs> I mean, throw clockwork orange on while you're at it. Maybe little boys yeah, don't cry. Sure. I was one of those freaks in high school that did recommend clockwork orange to people so um i'm gonna go to jail i'll see you guys later (laughs) um and thank you as always to all of you for listening and until next time stay horrified